Hello everyone, welcome to The Cross and Culture, a podcast that is all about evangelism, discipleship, and leadership in intercultural context. We just had an amazing multicultural ministries conference and our first Atlantic Filipino evangelism conference in New Brunswick at Capital Community Church in Fredericton. And I'm so glad to report to you that we had three people baptized in Jesus' name and we had two people filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's just so exciting to see what God is doing in the Atlantic District through multicultural ministries. And uh, for this episode and the next few episodes, I'm just going to share with you some of the training sessions that we had at the MCM conference. And I believe this is going to be a valuable resource to you and to your local churches. And the first one that I'm going to share with you is by our district superintendent, Reverend Brent Carter. And he's going to talk about the importance of church planting and the things and the steps that you need to consider when planting a multicultural church. So without any further delay, here's Brother Carter. I give honor to each one that's here and um, uh, honored to speak to you just for a few moments this morning. I don't see myself as an expert on this topic at all, other than God's given us a desire and a burden to do um, what what the topic's about, and that's whether it's satellite churches, daughter works, starting works, and that's a passion of ours. So I'm just going to share with you a little bit of information along those lines this morning, and... Um, I, I, think it's, I think it's important for us to have some principles uh, for starting uh, satellite churches and daughter works and multicultural churches. Um, and again, it's already been stated, there's no separate churches. We're part of one church. And uh, so just to give a little bit of a setting, uh, we believe fully in having um, other churches in our city. So currently we have seven other locations in our city, uh, and then we assist in a daughter work in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland. Uh, I will share with you that um, we, we feel like we're just getting started. So we're praying for 30 churches in our, in our city. And the idea behind that is not because it's easy. It's not easy. Actually, it's easier to have one church. Um, but I'm actually wanting to reach the whole city. So we got sections of our city that don't even want to cross the bridge to come to the east side. So unless we take churches there, uh, we won't reach that section of the city. So I'm going to give you five principles for starting satellite daughter churches. I'll focus mostly on the first couple because I think everything else is built on this. And so the first principle is always vision or dream. And sometimes I call it desire. Desire is not something you can teach. Someone either has it or they don't. And um, so that's, that's kind of a portion. But I'll call it vision or dream. Uh, and I'm going to give you just a little portion of scripture 
from 1 Samuel 17, 23. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, spake according to the same words, and David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, We have seen this man that has come up, surely to defy Israel is he come up, and it shall be that the man who killeth him, notice now, the king shall enrich him with great riches, will give him his daughter, and will make his father's house free in Israel. Basically, that simple illustration of that is you're going to be wealthy, you're going to have an important woman, and you're not going to have to pay taxes the rest of your life. It's a pretty good deal. David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth the Philistine and take up the reproach from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David asked the same question, the same answer. The people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. Second time. He's going to be wealthy. He's going to have a nice woman. And he is going to pay no taxes. The Bible says Eliab was quite upset with his brother in verse 28. Verse 29 says, and David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? Immediately in verse 30, he turned in to him toward another and spake after the same manner, and the people answered him again after the former manner. The third time he asked the question, what is it that's going to happen to the person who kills Goliath? And the whole focus was those three things. And that was not at all David's focus. David's focus is in verse 29. Is there not a cause? You have to dare to dream or dare to vision. David dared to dream. You can read it in verse 26. He said, we got someone who's defying the armies of the living God? This is not right. Uh, I asked you this morning, how about you? What, what's, what's your dream today? If the answer is, well, like, I don't know where to start, or you have to, you have to stop and say, listen, if God's called you, and I, you wouldn't be at this conference if you don't have a desire to do something. You're here because you, God's already put desire I'm asking you this morning, what is your dream about what God wants to do through your life? Whether it's faith, marriage, kids, finances, relationships, integrity, godliness, all those things. Or what about starting a church? Um, I don't think it's probably wise for young people to wait around for someone who's already pastoring to die so you can have a church. I think it's good to connect yourself to someone who has a dream or a vision to see churches and lighthouses every community possible. And if you go back to the elders and the pioneers of our district, they didn't even worry about size of location. They worried about whether God was leading them to a location to start a work, to start a preaching point, to start Bible studies. So why is it that we don't dream? Why is it uh, that we have dream killers? Things like, I'm too young. There's no such thing. You can look. David was practically a child 
I mean, he was, he was in his probably teenage years, and he's coming up to the situation. So too young's not part of it. I'm too old. Never stop dreaming. Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90. This, this, uh, some people who are getting a little older, they, they've got more time than they ever had. Never too young, never too old. I'm too much of a failure. Listen, failure is not fatal. And our miscues are not final. You got to run through the finish line and stop worrying about being a failure. Uh, all through the Bible, that's what God used was people who failed. I'm too new to God. So were the disciples, if you want to look at it. Paul was new. He impacted the world. God sees newness actually as a strength, not a weakness. There's something fresh about people who are on fire for God and excited about doing something for God. And Don't let it be a dream killer. Uh, I'm too tired. Um, you'll have eternity to rest. Ask God for strength. Don't give up. Keep going through. Um, what we're doing is actually eternal. And I understand you need to take care of yourself and have self-care and rest and all of that. But listen, don't, our tiredness a lot of times is because of all the other stuff we're doing. I'm too insignificant, um, really. <laughs> uh, created in God's image, God called you, filled you with his spirit. I don't think insignificance is part of the equation. I'm too encumbered by problems. Uh, uh, Smith Wiggleworth said it's pretty well, great triumphs can only come out of great trials. I'm too hurt by others. Uh, if you kind of looked at the life of David, you would say, you know, Eliab's his oldest brother, and he's, he's kind of speaking down to him, and hurt is hard. Things are going to happen, but it cannot be what destines you. Remember the statement. The enemy defines you by your past because he doesn't know your future. The Lord defines you by your future because he's forgiven you of your past. I'm not where I thought I would be at this part of my life. I mean, we all could maybe say that. Uh, we all could make statements along those lines. God's got you right where you are and desire. So you've got to be willing to dream. And... Um, Helen Keller, most, she said, the most pathetic person in the world is someone who has sight but has no vision. Dare to dream. Stop worrying about whether you're too young or too old or too insignificant or can't do it or you don't have enough people or you don't have enough qualities or you don't have enough. Uh, listen, this is God's church. He's building the church. You, just, you and I get to be part of it. So this, is, this, this vision part is a huge part of whether we're actually going to step out and do anything but what we're already doing. Uh, the second part of that is to define the dream. David defined the dream. Is there not a cause? You got to define the dream in multiple ways. And if I'm, I'm going quickly, I just have a lot of info. I'm sorry. You got to define it in multiple ways. Number one, you got to date it. Uh, if, if your dream is... 
that God's going to do something through your life, then put down an actual timeline. If you wait until you think you're ready, you'll never do it. Date it. Detail it. Say, God, I'm giving my life to you. And um, I'm just here. Here's the deal, God. Uh, I'm making myself available. Whatever you want to do through my life, detail it. Deadline it. Make sure, don't be vague about it. Say, I'm going to start by. I'm going to uh, begin with. I'm going to make sure by this date that we've got a plan in place. So date it, detail it, deadline it, and daily devotion it. Make it a matter of prayer every day. God, help me to see your vision, your dream for my community, our city, the next location, the unchurched area. Henry Thoreau said, in the long run, men hit only what they aim at. So you gotta, you've got to actually date it, detail it, deadline it, and make it part of your daily devotion. God, I want, I want to... Um, I want to reach into another area. I want to start Bible studies in this area. I want to have a preaching point in this area. And listen, those areas don't have to be very far from where you already um, attend church. Declare the dream. There's something about saying it out loud. Now, I have to tell you, when God called us to St. John, it's 10 years ago last Friday, and uh, he put in our... He put in our vision that we would see five churches in the first five years, and um, that, that wasn't extremely, um, you know, maybe uh, a huge challenge. We had a couple churches that God was going to let us help uh, look after and take over. But when that, when that took place and we continued to grow, and when you stand behind the pulpit and say you want to see 30 churches, that's a whole different story. And I'll tell you what, I have no fear in saying it because I believe full congregations, not churches that we're even going to start, full congregations. We're in, we're in conversation with two churches currently that are not part of our organization. Listen, there's our latest work that happened just a little over a year ago in a little town called Nwijewak church with no pastor. Their pastor was 93 years old when he retired, and he's now 96, possibly 97, and um, they didn't have a pastor. We just offered our services. That was a little over a year ago. There's, there's full congregations. Listen, they don't have the truth yet. They don't have the gospel. They, don't, they are not all baptized yet, but we're having church in that church. And I believe in God's actually going to give us that building. So there's opportunity. About four or five months ago, we had a Filipino group that approached us to use our building. About 60 people attend our building on Sunday mornings and Thursday night. And uh, again, that's, that's, I opened up our building. They're not of our denomination yet, but I'll tell you what. When it comes time for their service to be done, I open up our back doors. They stand in the foyer. They're already watching our services. We prayed with their leader. God's touched them of cancer. Uh, Listen, God will open up opportunities if you just dare to dream. It's got to be outside of our comfort zone. Declare that dream. Hmm. 
quickly. Then you got to defend the dream. David's example is amazingly powerful. Think of whatever dream or vision you are contemplating in your life, whether it's a Bible study teacher, church planner, daughter, a work pastor, whether it involves youth or children's ministries, whatever the case is, then you got to defend the dream. And um, David stood to, stepped up to the plate and was like, you know what? This has gone on long enough, and this guy's coming down. And from that day forward, something different happened to Israel. Because David said, no, 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 this is my this is my people. This is God's people. That's my city. These, I pastor these people. They don't all attend our church yet, but I'm their pastor. That's how you have to approach your community. That's how you approach what God's doing in your life. Defend your dream. God didn't call you to be uh, that he's going to leave you or not allow his power to work through you. It's, it's, it's going to be okay. But you got to start with the dream or the vision. It's got to come from you. There's a New Testament example of that, obviously, in Acts chapter 10. Peter's on the housetop. He's hungry. And uh, while he's hungry, the Bible says he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and a certain vessel descending. You know the story. Three times God tells him, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. And he's kind of like, um, that, that's not something I should be doing. And uh, the the Bible says, while Peter thought on the vision, verse 19, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise there, forget thee down, go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. Notice now, what is the cause wherefore ye are come? There it is again. What is the cause? What's the reason that you're here? Well, Cornelius, he's, he's been praying. And God told him to send for a certain man. And um, you, can, you can go through the story. Peter asked the question, what's the cause? Um, people have not gone yet to Cornelius' household and, and his people. And three times God says, that's something you got to do. And the Bible says he perceived that God was no respecter of persons. And while he yet spake the Holy Ghost fell on them. He dared to dream. He defined the dream. He declared the dream. And then in Acts chapter 11, verse 15, while he's trying to explain to the people at Jerusalem, he said, while I yet spake, the Holy Ghost fell on them as it did on us at the beginning. <laughs> I don't know what else to tell you, but they got the same spirit we did. This is, these are just examples of people going to places that they had not been before. That's principle number one. If you don't have a vision or a dream, the next four are not going to work. Okay, so they're all built on top of each other. That's how uh, we, we have two new locations currently that we're working on in our own city that hopefully God will give us um, the timing of starting more works in those locations. So currently we have two, two works that are autonomous. We have uh, two works um, that in our city that are daughter works. We have one daughter work in Cornerbrook. We have two preaching points, and we have one in the process of becoming a daughter work. God has opened those opportunities. 
not because of anything other than a dream and a vision. I could tell you story after story about how things like that happened. We're, we're wanting to, we were wanting to have a church in the south end, uptown. And um, when, when we moved to St. John, uh, we, we moved to Quispam Sis. We, just, we lived in, it was like a senior location. Okay, we were the youngest people there. And um, everyone else was elderly. And in the next uh, condo, there was a lady. She was, she was in her 90s or so. And uh, she was a really nice person. She had a hard time getting around. But um, we, we got to meet her and, and, uh, be, and to talk to her from time to time and used to clean off her car and just, just little things to try to help her. Had no idea really who she was connected to or knew. So when we were wanting to start a church uptown, South End, we were looking for a location that we could rent to have uh, our services. And, of course, one of the most uh, famous churches uptown is, is called the Stone Church, built in the 1820s. It's a beautiful, beautiful building. And uh, we never even thought, actually, that we would have possibilities of access to that building. It's kind of a historical site. It's kind of a well-known place for people to come to visit. Uh, it's right in the middle of uptown. Well, what we didn't know is the lady that lived in the next building was on the board. And when we approached that church, she said, you will rent this church to that group of people. Now, that's uh, maybe four or five years ago. We pay $35 a week for the Stone Church, uptown, $35 a week. Because God put us in contact with the right person that opened the door. We would, I don't know why we would ever have our own building when we can, that hardly pays for supplies. Anyway, number two, uh, strategic planning. Um, do we have a biblical foundation for the concept of strategic planning or, you know, or is it something we've kind of taken from a secular business model um, and applied it to our churches? Well, God actually honors the process of strategic planning. And by principle and by example, you can see throughout the word of God many examples of how strategic planning was part of the equation. So if you're going to have a dream and a vision, that's one thing, but it doesn't just happen. Okay, you have to strategically plan. You can see that through the life of Moses. Moses was a, a strategic thinker, or at, or at least he learned to be. He was kind of struggling as a leader soon after he led the nation of Israel out of Egypt, and he was kind of trying to take care of everything himself, and his father-in-law said, listen, that's going to kill you. And so we'll talk about that a little bit more in, in principle three. If you look at the life of Joshua, you see that also through uh, strategic planning of Jericho. Uh, it didn't just happen. They had, they had a plan. They followed the plan to detail right to day seven. And God answered. Uh, Nehemiah, he had a plan for rebuilding the walls. It didn't just happen. 
Strategic planning was part of the success of what God did through their lives. Through the life of David, you see that also. Also with Paul, Paul, who was, of course, a key player in the establishing the early church, had a strategy. It's obvious in reading his accounts of his missionary journeys that Paul chose key cities in which to establish church growth for ministry. He chose cities where he might have the greatest influence on the largest number of people. Ephesus, for example, was the gateway to Asia Minor. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, just, well, I think I'll go to Ephesus. No, it was actually strategic in how he did that. God obviously, obviously expects us to plan. He has given us a number of clear principles along with some great examples, but if you're going to be, um, if you're going to be led of the Spirit, it also includes planning. And um, people who fail to plan, that's actually a huge issue. So you can have all the desire and dream and vision, but you've got to put a strategy in place to see that happen. So strategic planning is not only a biblical concept, it's a biblical mandate. Uh, it is God's chosen method of working to establish how you, your church, um, intend to carry out the Great Commission. How are we going to do it? It can be as simple as um, having a map of the city and making sure you cover all areas of that location. Every street, every house. Don't, don't uh, just say, well, you know what, we're going to go by a whim. No, it doesn't, that doesn't uh, always become fruitful. Be intentional of getting into God's heart and knowing what he wants you and I to accomplish through that strategy. Strategic thinking and planning help us to integrate the will of the spirit. Um, Ralph Waldo Emerson said, the future belongs to those who prepare for it. And so I think in 2022, we're coming to a close, and the rapture is going to take place, and uh, the coming of the Lord is soon, and we have to utilize and leverage every bit of strategic planning possible. It's very, very necessary. Okay, uh, principle number three, and uh, principle number three is training. Uh, you see this in Exodus chapter 18. And I said to you about Moses, speaking about it a little bit, um, Moses' father-in-law said, listen, you've, you've got to change something or you're not going to be able to accomplish. And so um, he helped him get rulers in place over thousands, hundreds, fifties, some even over tens, you see, uh, and let the, and let the uh, he said, let them judge the people all the seasons. Um, so the, the key behind what is being taught here in Exodus chapter 18, and then New Testament example is Acts chapter 6. The 12 uh, called the multitude of the disciples unto them. Uh, is it not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables? Let's look out uh, seven, seven uh, men of honest report full of the Holy Ghost, wisdom. Uh, you see the same principle. The idea behind it is training. And if I could simply speak to you, it's the power of leverage. It's not, it's, it's a principle that is so incredible. One can put 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000. That's the power of leverage. 
One horse can haul two ton, and two horses can haul like eight ton. It's the power of leverage. It's the principle. It's the natural principles of training. And uh, it has no determination by the size of your church. Zero. If you got one person in your church and that's your spouse, then let's do it together. This, this excuse that I don't have the right people, that's, listen, you'll never do anything for God. Use who God's got and given to you and train. Because training is the key, key. It's absolutely necessary. I cannot accomplish what God's helping us to do without people. So I'll just give you a simple illustration in our, in our setting, yes, at this point we have staff. I'm thankful for it. We have daughter work pastors, which is the second level. And then the third level, I have a group called Leadership 12. So our staff, we meet on a weekly basis. Our daughter work pastors, we meet on a regular basis. And our Leadership 12, we meet once a month. And that's all about training the next group, my next youth uh, pastor, my next children's ministry, my next daughter work ministry, my next Bible study teacher. My, they're all in those leadership 12. God is training for the next group that's coming. And that's not necessarily just for Mission Point. That's for the other works. It's absolutely crucial. If you and I do not train, uh, we will not accomplish what God's asked us to do. And um, is it work? Without question, it's work. It's tons of work. Our last Leadership 12 um, meeting was on Monday night. We just got done our missions conference. We had an incredible missions conference. I will tell you, I was wore to a frazzle. I mean, we, we had a full weekend, but our Leadership 12 was on Monday night. And there was no way possible that I would not have that event. You say, well, what did you do, Brother Carter? You kind of got them all a coffee and you talked for 10 minutes and, and you would not know. We actually, had, we actually had them all at our house. We had 38. We had their families. We had 38 of them come to our house on Monday night. And spend time together because it's about investing in training the next people. And if you don't do that, then there's no opportunity to actually reach outside of the comfort zone of where you are now. It's crucial. Okay, so that's principle number three. Coming quickly here to a close. Uh, principle number four is, uh, and these things work together. Okay, there's no sense of training if you've got no vision. It's pointless. Got to have a vision and a dream. Okay, you got to strategically plan, and then you have to train. Uh, and number four is to have a support team. Uh, listen, the ones in training automatically become uh, part of the support team of what you're trying to do. Um, they pick up the vision of pastor. They they see where. Uh, where we're trying to go. Not everyone always sees it right away. Uh, we have a different mentality about certain things, but I'm always trying to plan five years at least in advance 
of what God's doing in the idea of where we're trying to go five years from now if the Lord tarries. And that's just a mentality of pushing it. So when I say to you we have a desire for 30 churches, I don't even know the timeline exactly of that. I just believe that God's going to open up full congregations. Uh, so I said to you about the Filipino group. We have, uh, we have a group from Bangladesh that meet at our church. Uh, currently about 80 of them that come on a regular basis and use our building. God's opened up opportunities for us to reach into different cultures. Somewhere around 23, 24 cultures attend our church currently. And so God's opened up those opportunities. Yes, we're part of a city. But let me tell you, they're everywhere. Stop in Doketown and you will see Filipinos. Doketown. Okay. Um. Uh, back maybe a month and a half ago or so, uh, the Filipinos had a, um, the, the group on Sunday morning had a, an anniversary celebration. So that Sunday morning, there was about 150 of them uh, from all over the province. So I go to church early because they come to church around 6 to set up. I'd like to know how many of our people would actually come if we were doing church at that time. But they come to church around 6 to set up. And um, so I, I go to church fairly early, not that early, because they're going to have their event. But I want to be in with them. I want to meet them. I want to talk to them. I want to pray with them. So that morning, there was about 150 of them from all over the province. I can't ever remember being shy. So I just started talking to them, finding out where they're from. And, um, and in our conversation, I just said about some a new group of Filipinos that have been attending the church in Miramichi. They're having a great move there with some Filipinos from Bay San Anne. And so I just, I just made a comment, and this, this lady said that she was from Miramichi. And so I just... I said, well, you know, do you, do you know this certain person? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah my husband works with her husband. <laughs> it was just that simple to make a connection just by communicating in a very short period of time. Listen, the opportunities will be there. So your, your support team is everyone that you already got involved. And they, um, uh, Brother Donnie, of course, is part of our staff. And um, he's making some great inroads with obviously, in roads with the Filipino group in our church and uh, speaks the language and all that. It's, it's wonderful. It's, um, the support team is key. And again, it's not about the size of the church, whether it's one person, 10 people, or 25 people. It doesn't matter. It's about doing that together. Uh, so if you're going to be part of um, this dream strategic plan training and support team for a church, another location, a preaching point, daughter work, whatever, satellite church. Uh, and then the second part of that is to have foundational families that will be part of that work. Now, we have kind of a little, I'm not saying it's the perfect way. It just, it's the way that we've designed uh, that we have foundational families that are part of, of these churches that we have started. And uh, we, we asked our foundational families to stay connected to Mission Point. Our daughter work pastors attend Mission Point at least once a week. And part of that is to make sure that we are doing this together. 
We're not sending people out to fail. We're wanting this to be prosperous for our city. And, um, and the statistics are pretty high. 80% of churches that stay connected to a mother church succeed. Okay? It's the exact opposite. 80% of churches that go out on their own fail. So I, I think the statistics tell us pretty clearly to stay connected to uh, a mother work, uh, a, a, a church that's allowing the foundational families to go and be part of. Listen, uh, we're hoping and praying that at some point all of these churches will be autonomous, but until they are, we're wanting to make sure they succeed. Uh, new statistics came out from the U- UPCI. It used to be that they thought after 10 years, churches would be strong enough to stay on their, stand on their own. It's actually closer to 20. So they just come out with that last year. And they watched churches that actually stayed connected upwards or close to 20 years. Uh, so that's that's a quite a length of time to make sure that churches are um, strengthened. Uh, so even with our, uh, for example, dealing with uh, churches uh, with Christmas for Christ, I'll say. I'll use that for an example. None of our, our satellite churches or daughter works have applied for Christmas for Christ yet. None of them. And the reason for that is I want to do whatever I can from mission point, and then when we feel like they have the greatest example or the greatest possibility to be successful, then we will put the Christmas for Christ into the equation. Because, again, it's not our kingdom. It's his kingdom. All right, I'm almost done. Um, You have to have other clergy, peers in your life who have a similar vision. Don't spend time speaking to people who don't understand what you're trying to do unless you're encouraging them to do it. People who don't believe in having a dream or a vision to have other works is really not the people that you want to get the best advice from. So you want to be around people like Brother Sistrunk who started churches and Brother Menard who had 16 churches out of his church. You want to be around people like that, that see that it's more than just you or your church. Spend time. Be around, communicate, glean from others who have had a successful um, ministry of planting churches, daughter works, preaching points, um, people who teach Bible studies, whatever the case is. That's, that's who, eagles fly with eagles. You want to be around people who are similar in vision or passion of what you have and desire to do. Okay, uh, principle number five, the last one, and uh, this is, this I think is, obviously I would spend more time on this in another setting, but the environment, the execution, or the evaluation of what you're doing is, is crucial. You have to um, have a right environment, and, and there's lots of things I could say about that. So people that are working with you, there has to be a loyalty. There has to be, there has to be integrity. Okay, so if I was to share with you, for example, Brother Thornton, who's pastoring LCC, uh, Brother Thornton lives in Quispamsis. The church is in Quispamsis. About 60% of Mission Point is from Quispamsis. Okay, 
Well, if there's no loyalty or integrity from the pastor of Quispam Sis, Mission Point's going to be in trouble. Because Brother Thornton is a better guy, a better preacher. You get all that. Okay. And he's in the community where 60% live. So you have to have, you have, to have good environment uh, if you're going to have prosperous growth in what God's wanting you to do. Um, that's just one example of that environment. The execution of it, actually, everyone has to be on board. Uh, everyone's moving forward with trying to do it. Listen, if you, if you came to our church on a Sunday, it's impossible for you to attend all the services. It's impossible. I mean, there are services happening throughout the city during the afternoon, um, and I try to rotate as much as possible and get to some of those churches in the afternoons. But uh, it's, it's, uh, there's, there's a... I mean, the execution of what's happening, whether it's music or picking up people or, or having church or making sure it's open in time, make sure it's set up, there's a lot of things behind the scenes that a lot of people can be part of. And then evaluation is uh, crucial. So there's aspects where we do weekly, monthly, um, semi-annual, and obviously yearly in what we're doing and God is doing. So... Those are just five quick principles. All starts with a dream and a vision. We live in a great district, and I'm honored to try to help lead to the best of my ability. But we're reaching somewhere around 2 million people in Atlantic Canada. And... um, If we think we're evangelized, we're badly mistaken. New Brunswick has about 375,000 French-speaking people that are almost totally unevangelized. There's 15 uh, reservations in the province of New Brunswick that are totally unevangelized. You can go through each province of our district in a similar manner. That's why we have a vision currently for our district that we will see five new churches in each province and God's desire is that every community would be reached. Listen, St. John's, Newfoundland is the second largest city in Atlantic Canada. St. John's, Newfoundland could have 30 churches. Easy. Easy. We just, we just got a vision to put three more there currently. I'm looking for young men and women let me, let me tell you, there's, there's such a desire uh, that God's putting in people. We're getting ready to do another NCC trip to Newfoundland. People believe in what we're doing. North American Missions nationally just supported and paid for that trip to Newfoundland. Almost every one of our pastors or workers in Newfoundland currently went on one of those NCC trips. So we just need people with a dream and a vision who will strategically plan and train, have a support system in place, and be willing to evaluate it. And listen, God will build the church. He will build the church. It's his church. Okay, my time's up. Let's stand. Can I just pray this this morning that maybe just some point of 
some simple thing that I said or that we're doing that God would place into your spirit. Had a chat not too long ago with Brother Hennessy, who they've got a church out of this church, and it was such an exciting conversation of just chatting with him about things God is doing and the connections that are being made, and it takes time. If you were at Newfoundland camp, you, if you ever had the possibility of being at Newfoundland camp this year and watching Brother McGuire baptize two people for the first time and to see eight people in that camp receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and see the passion and the desire of what's going to happen in that city. There was Filipinos there, people from Sri Lanka there. There was different nationalities. I don't know when's the last time we've had that at Newfoundland camp. There's such a burden and a desire to see God. God, I thank you. I thank you for your mighty power and your mighty spirit, God, that we feel right now. I thank you, Lord, for every person, God, that took time. God, that is in person or watching or listening this morning. God, you know what you've placed into the spirits of individuals and in the hearts of men and women. God, you know exactly what you're doing. We're just making ourselves available, putting ourselves, God, at your feet. Hallelujah. Falling upon you this morning. And God, allowing your power, your spirit. Hallelujah. The authority of your word. Hallelujah, Lord, to work through our lives. Us just to be channels, uh, conduits, God. I pray for your glory, the expansion of your kingdom. Let the power of the name of Jesus and the authority of your word that has been spoken by each person this morning go deep into our hearts, God. Uh, create, God, I pray, a greater passion, uh, a burden, a vision, a dream uh, than we've ever had before, God. Hallelujah, Lord. Let it be restored in us. Uh, hallelujah, the desire of the pioneers and the elders uh, to go into communities, God, uh, and in an apostolic way. In the name of Jesus, let your power and spirit minister to each of us this morning that we would be, Lord, fruitful for your kingdom in Jesus' name.